It is uh, very good to be starting Advent together with you all. And I really appreciated uh, the way Jason opened us up with well, the, the confession time. The title for this new series is Winter Journey. And a lot of times when we hear Christmas, as Jason mentioned, we, we think about bright lights and jingle bells and happy songs and good times, and, and rightly so. This is a wonderful season. But one of the things that we, I think, neglect is when these seasons are, are not so happy. And one of the reasons why I appreciate so much using the liturgical calendar is because the season of the church ebbs and flows, and there are happy times, and there are reflection times, and we're about to enter into Advent, which is, a, is literally a time of, of darkness and waiting. And then after that, we go into Christmas, and it's a time of celebration. After Christmas, we have a, a short time, and then we, we get into Lent. And Lent is a time of reflection and confession. And then after that reflection and kind of somber time, we enter into Easter, which is, again, a time of celebration. And then we enter into ordinary time, which is just ordinary, you know, as is our lives most of the time, just pretty ordinary. And then this week is our final week, our final Sunday in ordinary time, and then it starts all over again with the new year of Advent, starting with Advent. And I think that's really appropriate because in our lives, we have times of celebration, we have ordinary times. We have times of uh, reflection, and we have down times, sad times. And so as we enter into this season of Advent, I pray that it's a time of reflection, a time of remembering maybe some downtime in your life, or maybe it is a time of, that you're going through a downtime, and, and uh, know that there is this hope on this journey, that Christmas is at the end of it. And, uh, you know, as I think about the season, I, I love Christmas music. I love, you know, I was just recently, uh, just a couple days ago, Thanksgiving, making food and, and flipped on the radio station in hopes that Christmas music would be there. And it was. It was great. And on my drive here to, to uh, the church this morning, there was on the, on the radio a song and, you know, I wanted to hear the nice, uppity Christmas music full of joy and stuff. But no, this, is, this was, I guess, I guess it's Tony from Tony and D on Warm 101.3 that he wrote a song called Santa Doesn't Come Here Anymore. Man, that is a depressing song. It's all about all children have left the house and so Santa doesn't come here anymore. And just kind of mourning the loss of the... the the special time when, when kids are little and all the wonder and excitement of Santa Claus and, and how now that he doesn't have children anymore, that, that wonder and excitement is, is gone and left. And so there, there, there are some Christmas songs that are, that are sad. You know, my, it's got to be my, my A number one, you know, Christmas song. I, I have to admit it. You know, you, you all probably know it. Last year, I gave you my heart. Very next day, you gave it away. You know, that, that's, that's a very sad song. And I don't even think it's a Christmas song, except for it says Christmas like twice in the entire song. 
But for whatever reason, it's played over and over and over again on the Christmas radio. And it's a sad song. And so, even in our Christmas music, there are times when we go through sadness and, and remembrance and, and maybe uh, bring a tear to our eye, don't even get me going on Christmas shoes. But... Um, <laughs> These are the songs we all love to hate. Uh, but I appreciate this Advent and this lectionary reading as we're going into this winter journey together. Because we're going to look at it from the perspective of John the Baptist. And not just John the Baptist, you know, while he's out baptizing people, but John the Baptist as he's sitting in prison. And you have to imagine what it would have been like for John. These prisons are not like the prisons that we have today. Very much so, John would have been in a, in a cold, damp cell. He would have had a dirt floor, maybe a mat to lay on, probably not though. And the smell of that room would have just permeated his whole being. The smell of urine and feces, rotting food, probably rotting flesh. And all he could hear would be the sounds of people mourning and wailing, coughing, waiting to die. And it was dark. It was a dark season. Probably the only thing that might have been keeping John company, aside from the rats and the creepy crawly things that would have been in the cell with him, were his thoughts and his memories. See, John grew up leading a very different life, always being told that he was special, that he was to be the one that prepared the way for the Messiah, the Savior. And just a while earlier, he had gone out and baptized his cousin, Jesus, thinking that this is the one, the Messiah. But here John sits, incarcerated, waiting, literally waiting to die. And some of his followers come to him, and I think rightly so, John asks a question. And sometimes when we come at scripture, we have a tendency to clean it up and make it sanitized and stuff like that. So when we read the words, are you the one that is to come or do we wait for another? Or are we to wait for another? We, we read that as, as kind words that John might have said to his followers. Go ask gently. Are you the one that is to come or, or are we to wait for another? No, I don't think John was that way. John was not a, a, a timid man by any stretch of the imagination. He wore camel hair on his body. He ate grasshoppers and locusts and honey. I imagine that 
John, for his entire life, was looking forward to this time. They are under Roman oppression, Roman rule. They are not a free people, the Israelites. And I would imagine John was looking at Jesus as this coming king, this savior, that he was going to change things, make it right, restore Israel. And what is Jesus doing? He's out talking to people. He's telling them to love one another. Where's the king? Where's the guy that's going to change everything? And so I think when he asks this, he, he says, you go and you ask that Jesus. You ask him, are you the one that is to come? Or do we wait for another? And some of us, I think, might be in that place in our lives. We might be in a place where we have tried everything to make a difference. We have tried, maybe it's a relationship problem, we've tried talking, we've tried counseling, we've tried praying. Maybe it's an addiction, and we've tried to stop, we've gone to meetings, gone to counseling we've even asked God to take it away and we cry out to God and say are you God are you the real God are you the one that can help me or do I wait for another and we go through a dark time a dark season well I think John as he's sitting in his cell Reflecting on his life and what got him where he is. And as he's asking that question, might, might think back to some of the reasons why he is where he is. A lot of it has to do with his own parents. And the stories that they would tell him. The prophecy. I would imagine that John's father, Zechariah, would, when, he, when John was young, would say to him, You are special. Let me tell you about the time when your mother and I found out that we were going to have you. You see, I'm a priest. And the priests get to go twice a year and take care of the temple for a whole week. And we have a variety of duties that we do. And so it was my week, I was in serving in the temple, and I chose the lot for serving incense. And that was really important because we only get to do this twice a year. And there's so many priests that not all the priests get to serve incense at the altar. So this was a privilege. I was so excited. And so my job was to go in and pray and offer incense and then to come out and, and bless the people. And so I did. I went in and I prayed and I offered incense. And then the most miraculous thing happened an angel appeared. 
And the angel's name was Gabriel. And he said to me, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. And then he said, And you're going to have a son. And you're going to name him John. And I turned to Gabriel and I said, How will I know this will be? But what I really meant in my heart is, No honking way. <laughs> because your mom and I were old. Your mom was well past childbearing age. And we had lived so many years without children. We lived righteous lives, but people didn't believe that we were righteous because we didn't have any kids. And that usually meant that there was sin in our lives, or we were rebelling against God in some way. But we lived righteous and holy lives. And Gabriel told us that we were going to have a son. But I said, how will I know? And he got a little mad. Gabriel said, I am Gabriel, the strong man of God, and I stand in God's presence. And you're going to doubt me? Okay, I'll show you how you're going to know. You're going to be mute for nine months until these things come to pass. And not only was I mute, but I was also deaf. I had to communicate with people through signs and writing. For nine months. And so for nine months, Zechariah and Elizabeth waited. And I'd like to think that they waited faithfully, but Elizabeth waited five months before she let anyone know that she was pregnant. Just in case. But here is John, the promised child, the child that Gabrielle said would prepare the way for the Lord. But he sits in prison in darkness. I think as John reflects back, perhaps he also thought about this prophecy and prayer that his father, Zechariah, prayed when John was born. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open up to Luke, chapter 1. If you're not quite sure where that is, it's in the New Testament. It's uh, the second part of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you're not quite sure, just flip open to the table of contents. That'll help you find it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke records for us this, this praise. These are the words of Zechariah, the priest. It's been nine months. He hasn't spoken a word. He hasn't heard a thing. 
for nine long months. This baby is now born. He's healthy. On the eighth day, they take him to have him circumcised, and he's given the name John, which means Jehovah is gracious. And as he gives the name John, his mouth is opened, his ears are opened, and he prays this prayer. Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. What Zechariah is doing here is completing his priestly duty that he started nine months ago. The priest was supposed to go in and pray and offer incense and then come out after offering his prayer and his incense and bless the faithful that were waiting and praying while he was in the temple, the Holy of Holies. It was called a benediction. And so now Zechariah comes nine months later and gives his benediction, gives his blessing. And we sometimes call this section of scripture the, the benedictus. And it's from the Latin for the first word, the blessed be. Praise be to God. And so Zechariah continues in verse 69. He says, He, meaning God, has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. Now, just as a little aside here, we read from the New Revised Standard Version here, and most of the time this is right on and we love it. But I don't like the way they translated this, this one phrase when it says that he has raised up a mighty Savior for us. Because that's not what it says. In the original language it says, he has raised up a mighty horn. And yes, it, when you go through all the... the connections, you can equate the horn with Savior, but how do you get there? Well, what Zechariah would have experienced when he went into the Holy of Holies was, was a couple of altars. One is the altar of sacrifice and one is the altar of incense. And on these altars, on the four corners, were these elongated edges that looked very much like a horn. And how many people ever played tag growing up, or maybe your kids play tag now, or nobody played tag? I can see you. Okay, so some of us played tag. Now, there's a couple things that are necessary for tag. The first thing, very important, what do you need? It. Somebody has to be it. And I don't know if you play this where you come from, but where I come from, there was a second thing that was very necessary when you played tag. What was that? Safe. There was some place that you could run to that you could be safe, right? Well, that's a very biblical concept. Did you know that growing up? Very biblical. If you check out, write these verses down and check them out. I invite you to do this. Um, Joshua chapter 20 and 1 Kings chapter 1 and look at the actual verse 50. You'll see a couple of different, there's, there's other references, but those two in particular you'll see that what God has done is set up a way for if someone accidentally kills someone else or does something very wrong in which they fear for their own life, 
they can run to a safe place and be protected. In Joshua 20, it talks about some cities that are safe. In the First Kings passage, First Kings chapter 1, it talks about how this guy goes and grabs onto the horns of the altar so that he would not be killed. And this sets up a beautiful image as we read that this prophecy that Zechariah says that he has raised up a mighty savior for us, a mighty horn for us, referring to the Christ, this child that has not been born yet and will not be born for another three months. Zechariah is praising God, saying, God has raised up for us a mighty horn, some place that we can run to and be safe. Be saved. That's a beautiful image. And he continues on in verse 70. As he, that is God, spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors. And has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham. He's referring to Genesis. And I invite you to look it up sometime this week. Look in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. These places where this covenant God makes with Abraham. He says... You shall have, this is a very interesting allusion to Abraham who who had no children. And he says, you will have a child. And not only that, but you shall have a multitude. The father of multitudes is what Abraham's name means. And he says, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And through you, all nations will be blessed. And he's referring to the line of Abraham that will eventually lead to this person we call Jesus Christ. Zechariah says, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Let's read that verse 74 again. He says that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without what? Without fear. And even more than that, that we might serve him. All of this, all of what this story is, this, the, the Savior of, of Christ is raising up this horn of salvation is so that we might be free to serve Him. And I think that that's a, a tremendous promise. It might not be too exciting to think about serving someone for, for all of eternity. But the promise is is that we'll be freed from whatever holds us captive. And out of truly jubilant praise, 
we bow down and serve our Father. And now he turns his attention, Zechariah turns his attention to John. And he prays a blessing over him. And he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And I think this last part is, is maybe John remembers this prophecy and this benedictus prayer, praise that Zechariah proclaimed 30 years ago. I think John might have had a little aha moment as he remembers this last part. Because it says that he will give light to those who sit in darkness. John is sitting in darkness. And light to those who sit in the shadow of death, which is exactly where John is. But for the reason that it will guide our feet into the way of peace. So as John expects this kingly ruler that's going to turn the world on its head, I think this last verse that he may have remembered might help him to understand that it's not about being a, a military power. But when we truly understand salvation, when we truly understand what God has done in raising up Christ, this horn, is that he has guided us in the way of peace. And Christ shows us the way to light through the darkness is a way of peace. And I also really enjoy the different names that are, that are here in these passages. and uh, It's not translated, but very possibly uh, verse 78 where it says the dawn from on high, that also could be translated uh, just a straight name. In the original language, it would have been Anatoly. And it means morning or rising. And we get our name, both Anatoly and also the name Natalie from that. Anybody know what Natalie means? It means Christmas morning, born on Christmas Day. So this one born on Christmas Day will break upon us and he will guide us in the way of peace. And so let me ask you a question. What is your prison? What has you in darkness? Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe you said over and over again, I'll stop tomorrow. 
and you've tried all the different solutions, but with no hope and no result. Maybe it is a relationship that's broken. Maybe there's been a death. And you sit in darkness. And you ask the questions, why? Whatever your prison, God tells us through this wonderful prayer of Zechariah that he has raised up a mighty horn, a horn of salvation. And we can run to that safe place and be safe. And God invites us to do that today. In just a moment, we're going to respond to God's word through what we call Eucharist or communion. This celebration of Christ, this horn of salvation, his life and his death, which leads to new life. And we do that by remembering at table this broken bread and this cup. And there may be some here today that feel like you're in prison, that feel just that darkness in your life. And we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment, and I invite you to join me in that prayer, and then run to the table of sacrifice, because that's really what this represents. See, all of those First Testament pictures the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, all give a picture of what is to come. The horns of salvation are fulfilled through this horn of salvation that was raised up through the line of David. And that is Christ, Jesus. And so at table, we remember that. And celebrate that. And God invites us to run to the table and grasp hold of the horns. Grasp hold of Christ. And so if you're here today and for the first time you feel like you're in prison and you want to run to Christ and grab hold, I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. And for those of you that are on the walk with Christ or on that journey, you might be going through a dark time right now. I invite you to run to the table of sacrifice and grasp hold of Christ. And for others of you, this, this might be a really joyous season and, and lights and jingle bells. And, and so I invite you to take this time as, as everyone is praying and pray together with everyone. And pray for your neighbor. Pray for the person sitting next to you. Pray for that friend or family member that you know needs to know that Christ loves them, needs to know that there is someone that they can run to and be safe. So let's bow our hearts and pray to our Father. Our Father, we thank you for this gift of coming to you in prayer. We thank you for the words of your prophet, your priest, 
your servant, Zechariah. Who shows us that in darkness, there can be a great dawn. That Christmas morning. New life. And so, Father, we ask you to accept this prayer that we are about to pray. Would you welcome into your kingdom those that have been separated from you, but are now running to grasp hold of your son, Jesus, to be safe? So now I I invite you to pray along with me. You can pray silently in your hearts as I pray this prayer. Just repeat these words in your hearts. My Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. I remember that you made a way for me to be safe. I accept the gift of your Son, Jesus, through his perfect life, through the perfect sacrifice. I remember and I embrace it. I run to you and give you my life. Father, forgive me. Accept me through the blood of your son, Jesus. Father, fill me now with the power of your Holy Spirit that I might go and fulfill the promise that you made your servant Abraham to be a blessing to the world. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time tonight, it's important that you tell somebody about it. Scripture says that that we make confession with the heart, but we also have to make a, a confession of verbal one to someone else and to our friends and our family. We want to welcome you into the kingdom of God. And so if you want to talk to myself or Pastor Jason or Pastor Scott or Mike uh, that we're up here, we invite you to do that after uh, our time together here. And uh, just let us know that, that journey that you're making and that step of faith that you just took. And now as we go to table, there are the elements of bread and, and wine and juice. We invite you to Break a piece of the bread off and dip it in either the wine or the juice. And remember that we are running to the the table of sacrifice. That the horn of salvation is there and we're grasping onto it. And we can celebrate that. That we are free from whatever has hold over us. There is light in the darkness. There is a dawn. And that dawn is Christmas morning. So we open the table to those that are, are following Christ. If you're, if you're not real sure about the claims of Christ or you're not real sure about this whole Christian thing, this would be a great time to sit and just think about the words that you just heard. Maybe pray. Come to one of the pastors and ask for prayer. Tell us where you are in your walk. We invite you to that. The table will be open for the remainder of our time together. And you can come up and take the communion elements at, any, at your own pace and anywhere throughout the rest of our time together. So with that, let's, let's celebrate the dawn that is coming Christmas morning.